Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 118. Psalm chapter 118. We have finished the book of Philippians, and now we are moving to uh, into Luke. And one of the key points of the book of Luke is that Jesus is restoring the kingdom. He's the restorer of the kingdom in the book of Luke. So as we... Um, as we approach the, the Gospel of Luke, I want to encourage you to think about that concept, that, that Christ is returning as King, Lord over all things, the King over everything, and He is restoring His kingdom on earth. And so one of the things we wanted to start with as we dive into this is a picture from the Old Testament Psalms, and it seems very apt that we would pick this chapter. Uh, this was given, this was laid on my heart a couple months ago to do this particular chapter, and then we had a presidential debate that upset everyone. And um, I, I just want to draw your attention to the middle verse of the Bible. If you divide the Bible in half, you get to this verse. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 8. Just before we read the whole chapter, which we're going to do, I want you to see that verse. This is the center verse of the Bible. It is between the longest psalm and the shortest psalm. Psalm 117 is the shortest, and Psalm uh, 119 is the longest. And this is the center verse of the Bible as a whole. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. And then verse 9 repeats it with a little bit more specificity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than it is to trust in princes. Center verse of the psalm points us to our king over all others. So let's read Psalm 118 together and delight in what God says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I'm sorry, let's do this together. Uh, there's a phrase here in the first few verses that says, his steadfast love endures forever. Let's say that together, because that's how this was supposed to be read. The, the person's supposed to read the first line, and then the congregation's supposed to respond second. This was a temple. This is the last of what we call the Hallel Psalms, which is a feast psalm that they read at the feasts of various temples. And so we want to, let's go ahead and do the call and response there at the beginning. It just happens at the beginning, so you're good. But if you want to throw in at any point, you just want to echo whatever I, whatever I read, that's allowed too. Uh, so let's go ahead. Uh, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die. I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me 
and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And may God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. We come to this passage in Psalm 118, and I don't know about you, but life feels crowded lately. Crowded, not busy. Crowded. There is so much that we're bombarded with. So much constantly. And there is so much. It's not full. It's crowded. It's not overwhelming. It's just cluttered. It's not satisfyingly crowded. It's, it's uncomfortably crowded. Indeed, we live in a time period, in this year in particular, that's just bizarre. I don't, I don't really know what to do with it often. I, I feel like we are striving to walk a straight line on a crooked road while the wind is blowing really, really hard and there's a fire in front of us. That's, that's how this, this year feels. As though God has said, walk this way, and the road is going, and there's a fire across it, and the wind is blowing really hard, and God says, straight ahead. And I want to go, what are you talking about, straight ahead? If I go straight ahead, I'm going to fall off the, and then we're all going to, and God goes, straight ahead. That's how it feels. That's how, that's how I feel this year. I don't know if you connect with that at all. But that's how I feel. I feel crowded. I feel as though there's just so much that keeps happening. Every, every week there seems to be some new version of a murder hornet or something. Right? Meth alligators. Or weird, random stuff. Fires in every, every part of the world. And some you know, foreign dignitary gets sick. Our own president gets sick. There's a debate that's just a tragedy across the board. And we've got all these various things. What do we do? I think this psalm is not intended to fix the problem. Indeed, the problem will get fixed because Jesus is king and he is going to win. And he has won. And we'll see in this psalm that he has won and he is going to win. But the problem has been fixed. The, The trouble that we are having is... He's telling us to walk straight when everything else in the world is jumping in front of us and going, you can't walk straight. And so we want to calm our souls and remind ourselves of this great Hebrew word, hesed. Go ahead and say that, hesed. Okay, you're supposed to like growl in the back of your throat when you say it. And so we say, we're English, we're American, so we say hesed, but it's supposed to be like chesed, right? It's this kind of guttural growl in the background. Don't worry, I won't make you do that too often, um, just when I want to laugh. So this word hesed, I was given a, when I was taking Hebrew in grad school, I was given this test and I had a professor that asked us to define hesed. And we, uh, he gave us a line on the page about this long, one line. Hesed, and then there's room for the definition. Problem, this particular Hebrew word has such a depth of meaning and a, a frame in it that you can't get it on a line. 
the word means something along the lines of steadfast, faithful, loyal, loving kindness that is constant, merciful, gracious to those that are wicked, and patient. And it actually goes on. You could go for another paragraph just kind of rattling off all these phrases. Because hesed is this term that is used across the board to refer to God's love. What we call in the New Testament agape love. Self-sacrificing love that is given. But it's more than that. It's also mercy. It has to do with the connection to righteousness and justice as well. So it's mercy and it's righteousness. It's also loyal and steadfast. It's it's faithful and never moving and unbending. It's this love that makes no sense to the human mind. So we don't know how to define it. It's the love of the Good Samaritan who goes to the man who is broken on the side of the road that hates him. The, if you're not familiar with that story, the guy on the side of the road hates the Samaritan. The broken guy on the side of the road probably would say, I would rather die than have a Samaritan help me. This was a racially charged story that was beyond the racism that we see or hear in our own country. And when that guy on the side of the road gets the help from the Samaritan, he was probably cursing the Samaritan. And yet the Samaritan's the only one that helps him. And that's the kind of love that's here. This, this kind of love, not only does the Samaritan help him, but you know the story. The Samaritan helps him. He pays for him. He goes out of his way to pay more for him. He tells the guy, I'll be back to, to pay anything else that this guy owes. Total stranger who hates him. And the Samaritan does this. That's Hesed. That's Hesed love. That's the love that God has for his people. That's the love Jesus has for us. That's the love we are called to give those around us. Hesed love. Loving, loyal, kindness, merciful, steadfast. So when I went to my professor and I asked him, what should I put in the blank? He said, you can't fill the blank in to get an A. And I said, but I want to pass the test. And he said, oh, you'll pass. But the point of that question is you can't answer it. You can't give an adequate definition. So, this is the word that's used here for steadfast love. His steadfast love endures forever. We enter into this psalm with gratitude on one character trait of God. When we sing this psalm, what you have just proclaimed about God, we enter into this psalm with one character trait that encompasses our understanding of God here. Hesed. Hesed. And it's accompanied with the name of the Lord. The Lord, Hesed, Yahweh, Hesed, Jehovah, Hesed, Jehovah, Hesed, His love endures forever. And there's a, a cool play going on there because the name Yahweh could be translated everlasting one. It could be translated he who is beyond time. It's the verb to be, right? Hayah in Hebrew. It's the verb to be, and it is in a grammatical structure that doesn't make sense. It's in a grammatical structure that is relatively improper to translate as I be. Uh, we translated I am because that's the, the closest thing that we have to the phrase that makes any sense. But it's I be. It's this constant present tense active I be. I simply be. But it's a stative. It's a, it's a constant present tense active, but it's a, it's a condition. So it's I be. It's this mind-boggling grammar that we can't wrap our minds around. And the Hebrews didn't help us because they didn't put any vowel markings around the words, so we call it the tetragrammaton because we don't know how to say it. It's four letters. And it's the name of God. And most people argue that God was just breathing when he said it. That Moses said, who should I tell him sent me? And God breathed in and out. Breathed in and out. 
As if to say, I, I don't need a name. I am. I just exist. I am so great. I just exist. He, he needs nothing. He needs no one. So when we start this psalm, when we're facing a road that's going back and forth and there's fire on the road and, there's, and God is telling us, walk straight. When we face this psalm, we remember that He is. When we stand before the world like Moses and stand before uh, Pharaoh and say that we, and we deliver the message of the gospel in contrary to all the world, like Athanasius, contra mundum, standing against all of the world, and we stand for the gospel, we remember that He is always. That He is. When we are desperate for life in the wilderness, and we're, we're desperate for the hunger and thirst of God, and we're living in a tent, and we're outside of the promised land, and we can see the promised land, but we're not in it yet, and we are desperate for life, we remember He is Yahweh, His very name. Jehovah Yahweh, by the way, same, same name. Like I said, we don't know how to pronounce it, so those two are both acceptable. He is good. Look at that. <coughs> Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love, His hesed endures forever. The eternal God has an eternal love that endures forever. And what's great about his hesed is that it's developed out of his character, which is good. Just for a moment, I want you to think about the difference between good and amazing. Right? Man makes a refrigerator. He goes, amazing, incredible, amazing, wow! God makes a tree and says, good. Man makes a car and goes, fantastic! incredible, amazing. God makes a rabbit and says, good. Two years later, the refrigerator is broken down and the car no longer runs. The tree is still standing and the rabbit has replicated. We have a God who says good. And he is good. He is good. He is not prone to exaggeration. Indeed, he doesn't have to exaggerate. He can say good, and it actually means good. So he says good. He is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And then we start this psalm with the order of praise here. Israel, and then Israel's priests, and then everyone who fears the Lord. And this is a stair step praise, right? You've got the outside, the outer gate, all of Israel. You've got the outer gate. His steadfast love endures forever. You've got the inner gate, the inner sanctuary. Let Aaron, let the house of Aaron say, those who are loud in the inner sanctuary, his steadfast love endures forever. And then I love this. You'd think it would go all the way back out or that it would go, that it would go back out or that it would come back in or that it would stop with Aaron and the priest inside the inner sanctuary. But no, it goes all the way into the Holy of Holies and says... Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. So in this Hallel hymn, you have Israel, the outer court, then you've got the inner, uh, the inner sanctuary, and then you've got all who fear the Lord. And here, at the beginning of this psalm, we have a hint of what is going to happen. We have a hint that Jesus is going to make entrance for everyone who fears the Lord, into the Holy of Holies. You've got this stair step. Oh, you're of Israel? Let you say the steadfast love endures forever. Oh, you're of the, the line of the priests? Great, you're in the, holy, you're in the holy place. Let the Aaron's son say his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, you fear the Lord. Guess what happens later on in this chapter? The cornerstone that the builders rejected... The, the stone that the builders rejected becomes the cornerstone, and he opens the gate. He opens the veil to let you in. So we can say, his steadfast love endures forever. 
Not momentarily, not for a minute, but forever. Not just what you passed on in the past, not just forgiving what happened in your past, but forgiving everything forever. His steadfast love is forever. It is forever. Stair step into the Holy of Holies. Then in verse 5, we have this uh, turmoil. What does the steadfast love of the Lord do for us in turmoil? Look. Out of my distress I called upon the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look on triumph on the, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. From my position of weakness, from my desperation, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Just pause for a minute and think about the fact that God answers you. God, the supreme creator of the universe, the one who holds the stars in place, who calls the oceans to come this far and no further, who makes mountains rise and fall, this God answers you? Answers me? <clears throat> this God answers me? God shows his love by hearing and answering. He doesn't have to. You understand he's under no obligation to treat his creation with any kind of respect. He's under no obligation. He's not obliged. He does it because has it. Because he's good. Because he's good. And Hesed overflows from his goodness and his nature. Out of Hesed, not only that, comes freedom. Not only does God hear you, he says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord, or out of my trembling I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. This word for free here, it means gave me space. Gave me room. Remember, I told you at the beginning, I feel crowded. Not, not busy, not, not overwhelmed, just crowded. Just, there's stuff all over constantly. Embracing the Hesed of God and learning about the Hesed of God, the love of God Himself for you, brings you space, brings you room. This this phrasing means a lot to me because of dealing with anxiety. Right? When you deal with anxiety, the chief issue is crowded. Your thoughts are crowded. Your emotions are crowded. Your energy is crowded. It feels like things are pressing in. I have these noise-canceling headphones that go on my ears. My wife hates it when I put them on because I can't hear anything. But I put them on, and I'll listen to nothing just to drop out everything else so I can be less crowded, so I can breathe. Indeed, at one point in my life, anxiety attacks were common. And I would go to a dark room, and I'd put on these headphones, and I'd sit, and I'd wait for them to pass. And they were bad. But I began to realize something about Life, and that is when you ponder the Hesed of God, and when you recognize that Jesus Christ is that love for you, all of a sudden you have space. You have space. And I will occasionally catch myself trying to fill that space or, or fill that anxiety with something else. And at some point, I'll open my Bible and read the Word and understand something about Jesus, and I'll think to myself, why didn't I do this from the start? Why didn't I just open the book at the beginning when this whole anxiety issue started? And I'll be reminded, because my God is patient with me, and He's loving, and He's loyal and faithful, and He's kind, and He's merciful, and that covers me and gives me space 
when the world is closing in around us, he gives us space. Then in verses 6 and 7, we see the Lord is on my side. He set me free. He gave me space. Therefore, I'm not going to fear anything. He set me free and he gave me space. Therefore, I'm not going to fear anything because what can a man do to me? A man can't confine my space. In my fear, and my trembling, either from uncertainty or certainty, fear here is not dependent on the object that it sees. But if God is on my side, I will not fear for what can man do to me. Now, I read that phrase and then I thought, a lot. A man can do a lot to me. A man, a lot. A lot, David. I think this is a psalm of David. Well, it doesn't say. But it's a, it's a psalm, right? And you assume this is a psalmist. So, a lot. Psalmist, this can get, a man can do a lot to me. He can punch me in the face. He can take my things. He can tax me. He can, he can steal the things I own. He can hurt me. He can harm me. A man can do a lot to me, David. What, what do you mean, what can a man do to me? And, and as I thought about that, I thought about the fact that um, in my lifetime I've been fired, I've been slandered, I've been mocked, I've been rejected, I've been punched, I've been kicked, I've been broken, I've been maligned, often by people who claim the name of Jesus. I've been hurt in many ways. They can do a lot to me. But don't dismiss this, this phrase, as a platitude. That's not what it is. This isn't a platitude. When he says, what can man do to me? This isn't a platitude because there's one thing man cannot do to me, and that is he cannot take the love of God away from me. He cannot take Hesed away from me. He cannot take the space away from me because my space is not contingent on this stuff, but on his love. He can't take away my peace because he did, man didn't give it to me. He gave it to me. God gave it to me. Man can't take that from me. We just spent an entire uh, pandemic it's still not over, but the pandemic, we just spent this whole pandemic studying a man who was in prison writing about how he has perfect peace. And he has nothing. And he's content in all circumstances. He just read four chapters of it. God gave us something that no man can take away or overcome, cannot defeat and cannot run down. They cannot overcome the steadfast love of the Lord. What can a man do to me? Nothing of permanence or value. That's what a man can, cannot do. A man can do to me nothing of permanence or value. Oh, they can kick us. They can knock us down. They can lock us up. They can put us in prison. They can steal our things. They can take things from us. They can hurt us. They can yell at us. They can call us names. They can mock us. They can tell us that we're wrong. What they cannot do is touch the love of God that covers us and gives us space. They cannot overcome the steadfast love of the Lord, for it is eternal. And then there in verse 7, the Lord is on my side as my helper. As my helper. This is the one who enables me to engage the world. He makes it good. He makes my engagement good. Remember in Adam and Eve, they're made in the garden, and they're, Adam's kind of fooling around in the garden, and God looks at him and goes, that's not good. That's not good. Makes Adam, sets him in the garden, and goes, it is not good for man to be alone. Look at that guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> and then he goes, that was the John Elkins remix, by the way. It's not exact Hebrew. <laughs> the, uh, he, he goes, and he makes a, a woman for him, a woman to be by him. And he parades all the animals in front of him first before he makes the woman so that man would see that there's no good animal. Like a dog is not going to cut it. Like they're not, it's not going to do it. He needs, he needs something else. And, and then he makes a woman and, and Adam looks at her and goes, Isha, Isha. And man is Ish, woman is Isha. Right? Isha. And it's this phrase of, oh, she is of me. She's like me. And all of a sudden, he has help to cultivate the garden of God and spread it out on the earth. He couldn't do it by himself. He wasn't able to do it by himself. 
he's walking around the garden and he looks at all the animals and he's like, this is futile. I'm not going to be able to do any of this. I can't finish this. Much like myself when I try to do things in the garden. He can't do it. And he needs the other half. He needs his wife so that he can make the triune picture of God on the earth. God, man, woman, together. God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is often called helper. Jesus is the second Adam. God's the Father. We have this picture of spreading the fame and name of God across the earth as part of who he is, as as his image bearers on the earth. And Adam goes, I can't do it alone. And God says, I'll give you a helper. Here in this verse, in this passage, we have the same commission. That commission, by the way, to cultivate the garden and make the earth a better place doesn't change. Just takes a slightly different name as God starts to call it just justice and righteousness and right and good. That doesn't change. He, you're supposed to keep working on the earth. You're supposed to work for justice and to do the right thing. And God says, I will give you a helper, and that helper is me. That's awesome. The one who's going to help us engage the world is God himself. And we've got this phrase, I shall look upon those who hate me. Now, the English Standard Version here, there's a, there's a translation issue here. In the English Standard Version, we translate that, I shall look on triumph on those who hate me. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. But that's not what this actually says. In Hebrew, the word triumph isn't in there. The, now, to be fair, the translators are trying to get at the idea of victory in pose. So, I will look down on those who hate me. Um, that's the, that's, they're trying to get at what that means. But I think it means something different. Because when we read the word triumph, we think victory, put your foot on top of them, stand up, I have won. I've cut off the head of the snake. I, I'm standing with my foot on top of them. I am David. That's not what this means. This isn't pointing to you being David, or you being conqueror, or you being victor over someone else. This is a good Samaritan moment. I shall look upon those who hate me. How do Christians triumph? We triumph through Hesed love. We have victory when we love those who despise us. We have victory when in prison they lock us up and we sing, we sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs and the cages rattle. We have victory when they beat us and we say... Praise the Lord that I've been able to suffer for the joy of Jesus Christ, for the name of Christ, filling up what is lacking in his afflictions for me. We have victory when we stand up and we say, I love you even though you hate me. We have victory when we behave as good Samaritans to the world around us. When while the world scorns and mocks and maligns us, we say Jesus is Lord and Hesed love overcomes all of this. And we exemplify that agape and Hesed love. That is the victory of a Christian. So I think that this translation would probably be better served if it said, I will look upon those who hate me. That's the literal. That's what it says in Hebrew. I will look upon those who hate me. I will look upon them. I will put my eyes to them. I will put God's hands out to them. And I will grab hold. And I will nurture their wounds. And I will bind them up. And I will take them into myself. I will love them. And they will know the love of Jesus Christ that transcends all enemies. I will look upon those who hate me. So then we come to verse 8 and 9, an apt verse for us to study today in light of our current political situation. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than it is to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So it repeats here. It says man, and then it goes specific and says princes. And so one of the things we want to grasp at is what is the word meaning here for princes? The word for princes here is a nobleman who needs no uh, approval from anyone else. He does what he wants by his own free actions. He decides what he is going to do. This is the apex king leader. That's the word that's used here. 
the leader of people. This is a prince who is allowed to do whatever he wills, whatever he wants. It is better to trust in the Lord than it is to trust in princes. Why? Why is it better to trust in the Lord than it is to trust in princes? Well, because he's eternal and his love is eternal. But princes will die. Princes will fail. Even if they're decent men, do you understand? Even if they're decent men, men make horrible gods. Men make awful gods. You put them on a pedestal, they're going to fail you if for no other reason than God wants to remind you that they are not Him. Now, I don't, I don't know or care about political leanings when it comes to this verse. Whether you're conservative, liberal, whatever. doesn't matter. Look at what the Lord says. It is better to trust in the Lord, in the eternal steadfast love of the Lord, than it is to trust in any man or prince. It is better. Why? Because the Lord is eternal. So trust Him. The Lord is good, and His actions are therefore good. So trust Him. The Lord is steadfast, not just eternal, but steadfast and faithful and merciful and kind and generous and all these things that Hesed means. He is those things. He embodies those things. That's what John was getting at in 1 John 4.10 when he says, God is love. God is love. He's getting at this word. Hesed, eternal, faithful, constant. We take refuge in that which endures that which is good and offers stability. We find our security in Him and in knowing His character. You want to know how to feel less crowded in this world? Get as close to Jesus as you can. Get as close to Jesus as you can. Study the Word. Be around saints. Talk with believers. Get as close to Jesus as you can. Sometimes that means you have to turn off the news. Sometimes that means you have to turn off social media for a while. Sometimes that means you have to stop doing everything and just sit and listen to the Word of God. Get as close to Jesus as you can. You want to be less crowded? Get as close to Him as you can. You learn His character by reading His Word and then living out what you read. That's how you learn the character of Jesus Christ. It's simple. And yet, no one wants to do it. It's simple. And yet, in this world, no one wants to do it. Charles Spurgeon once said, if I gave people seven steps to become saved, to become like God, those steps could be as absurd as I wanted them to be. They could be, you could have to travel the globe, you could have to hold a million boxes on the head of a pen, and people would find a way to do it. But since all that I say is trust in Jesus for his righteous covering, no one wants to do it because it requires you surrendering to his righteousness and admitting that you need him. Wow. You, live, you learn his character by reading and living out what he says. We take refuge in the Lord over princes. We take refuge in the Lord over man. We find our safety and our, and our grace. It is a fiction to think that a man will save us. It is a fiction to think that a man will save us. There is one who has saved us, and he was God. Jesus Christ, the righteous, 100% God, 100% man. I know it doesn't add up. It's theology. You just kind of say yes. He's fully God and fully man. He saved us. He redeemed us. He rescued us. No man is going to do that. And if a man thinks he is, watch that man go crazy. It happens over and over in the Old Testament. It's happened over and over in history. You watch empires fall the instant they begin to claim the seat of God. It will happen again. Then we move to verses 10 and following, and we see, and we're going to fly through the second half of the psalm here. Um, 
But all nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. This is the idea, again, that the Lord is my helper and he caught me. We saw this in Jesus' life, by the way. He is with his disciples in the last night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is surrounded by people who come to take him. And they say, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they fall on their face and aren't allowed to stand up until he says so. The name of the Lord, he shuts them down. He cuts them off in the name of the Lord. Likewise, For us, when we stand before the Father and we have all this sin and baggage that we have put on our lives and we've done, and even even yesterday, even yesterday's baggage, even today's baggage, even the sin that we commit tomorrow that is laid out before the Lord and we stand before Him and He says, and He looks at us and in the name of the Lord, all of that is cut off. All of it is cut off and removed. Because Jesus Christ the righteous died on the cross for our sins, taking our sins upon himself and taking the punishment and then rising again that we would have life. All of it's cut off. And we are freed in Christ Jesus, given space. They've surrounded us on all sides like bees. You have thrust me through, is what that phrase there in verse 13 means. I was pushed hard. You have thrust me through so that I was falling. You thrust me through the image of being stabbed all the way through and I was falling but the Lord helped me. Understand brother and sister in Christ there is nothing a man can do to you that can remove the love of God and therefore there is nothing a man can do to you If he cannot remove the love and mercy of God from you, he cannot harm you. There is no harm that can be brought to you because you are covered in the hesed of God. Verses 14 and following, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Indeed, the Lord has given life. Verse 14, he says, I have learned the song. So look at this. He says, the Lord is my strength and my song. There's a a underlying metaphorical song in creation. God, when he made people, made us with this, just go with me here, made us with this melody inherent inside our being. It's a beautiful concept. C.S. Lewis actually teases this out in Chronicles of Narnia when Aslan is creating, and he does so by singing. And as he sings, things spring to life. What those things become is still in question. But they spring to life from this foundational song, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call the cantus firmus, what uh, Francis of Assisi would assign as the song that everyone sings at their core but doesn't realize it. This is the song of life on this earth, the calling to know and love and worship God Almighty. And indeed, the world has a song too, and that song has a similar melody but it's not the same. And that song gets bombarded constantly, and and we know it's wrong. We know it's sinful. And it's hard sometimes to hear the song of God as we walk this straight path on a crooked road, as we walk the straight and narrow in a world that tells us to turn. To the left or the right, you shall not go You shall go in the way that I tell you. This is the way. Walk in it. And we walk following the Lord and trying to follow His song and we listen to His song and that song is embedded deep within us. And I think that's part of the reason that songs like Jehovah Sidkenu and 
and oh four thousand tongues to sing resonate right because at some level these great men of old knew the song of God had something to do with the righteousness of God being manifest for the kingdom of God and then when we hear those songs we light up it's why old hymns are sustained you realize there were a lot of hymns written that are old and then there are old hymns you understand there are a lot of written written hymns that are old that we don't sing that don't have a lot of value but then there are old hymns that when you sing you're reminded of singing next to your grandmother in church or you're reminded of that one time with that one missionary or that one place or that one time when you did that one thing and you praise these you raise these songs together and all of a sudden your heart comes to life and you join in the foundational song that God has written. It's got a slightly different harmony to it because we're American and we sing in English. But it's still the same song. Jesus Christ the righteous is our king and he has a kingdom and we live in it. It's that same song. So here the the psalmist speaks of that song. Look at it. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. This is the victorious hand. He is king. There's the song. He is king. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is Master. He's the one we trust. I shall not die, but I shall live. And why shall I live? Because His Hesed covers me, and it brought me to life. The Lord has disciplined me severely. I love that one because everything else is so happy. And it's like, the Lord disciplined me. Uh, what? That's not happy. I was, I was getting all fired up, and now i got to read about the Lord disciplining me. But He has not given me over to death. You see, when the Lord disciplines me, we are brought back into the line that is good for us. He does what is good for us, and we walk that line, that, that path that He has made for us. And then here in verse 19, we have the picture of salvation. Imagine the gate closed. Imagine the gate closed. You are not allowed in. Indeed, most of us are uh, Gentile, right? We're not Jewish in heritage. We don't have the background of Israel. We are Gentiles. And so that means in the Old Testament, we would be outside the outer, we would be in the outer court at best. Not allowed on the inner court, right? So we'd be on the outer court, looking in, seeing the smoke rising, hearing the psalm read and sung aloud during the festival. Indeed, this is probably one that happens at the Festival of Tents. John chapter 7, the Festival of Tabernacles. It probably happens somewhere around there. We would be able to watch the priest come in from the back, <laughs> go in. So he'd, he'd come in from the back over here. He'd come in, and he'd walk, and he'd pass through our area carrying the bowl of water and he'd go into the temple and we would have to imagine him walking through the outer the inner court into the holy into the holy place and then pouring the um, the in front of, <coughs> in front of the holy place he poured the bowl of water or the or the jug that's the word jug of water onto the altar and it would trickle out slowly and you'd You'd have to imagine that. You couldn't even see it. And yet, what we have here is Jesus Christ making a way for us to go all the way in. He tears the veil from top to bottom and says, it's open to all who will trust me. It's open to all who will believe. Yes! And we get to come in with the song of God and having stood on the outside and seen the smoke rise, and heard the songs, but not able to enter in or join in, all of a sudden, the gates are open to us. Because Jesus Christ the righteous, the stone that the builders rejected, has become the foundational stone on which everything else is built, and we get to go in. We get to see Him and rejoice and say, Hallelujah. This is the gate, verse 20, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. 
I'm righteous because he covered me in his righteousness. Not because I earned it. And now I can walk in to the Holy of Holies before God. And I can stand before the throne of grace with confidence as our prayers draw near. And he answers me. And he hears me. And he hears my cry. I thank you. And here's the the plea from our heart. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. He saved me. He rescued me. I didn't do it myself. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So join me in this prayer at the end in verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. We lay it all down, Lord. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. O Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Say it, church. For his steadfast love endures forever. Again, for his steadfast love endures forever. Again, for his steadfast love endures forever. Again, for his steadfast love endures forever and ever and ever. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. Now, as we remember our Lord, as we remember our Lord, let us sing about how marvelous this grace is, how marvelous He is. I want you just to take a minute to get a vision of that tabernacle feast of John 7, when when John John recounts Jesus. Priest, you can imagine the priest walking up to the altar on the seventh day of the feast, and he's joined by a second priest. I don't know how much you know, but they they would walk around the altar seven times, and then they would pour the water out on the altar. And this time, the seventh, the the end of the feast, the seventh time around, he would be joined by another priest carrying a jar of wine, and that wine would then be poured out on the altar representative of the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for our sins and Jesus is standing there and he's watching this happen and he's so overcome that he goes that's me let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink and he stands there with his arms up let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink for I am the water of life he pleads with everyone come drink indeed he has made a way for us to know the lord god almighty get that vision in your head and let's sing together how wonderful